Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke today to Neil Pretorius. He's the CEO of DRD Gold. We talk about their tailings plant in South Africa and the recent Sabanye deal. He runs us through their finances, their business plan, and their strategy. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Well, thanks. Good day. So you're speaking to us from South Africa, lovely warm South Africa today. Yeah, it's summer down here, so uh, it is a typical summer's day in Johannesburg. Beautiful, beautiful. So you're going to tell us today a little bit about DRD Gold uh, and what you've been doing. So can we just kick off with a one minute summary initially, please? The company's been around since 1895, and it was one of the pioneers of deep level underground mining in South Africa. It's come full circle now, and it's focusing exclusively on the, the recycling and the remining of mine tailings, both around the Johannesburg area and now recently also in the Carltonville area. So uh, you could say that we're mining South Africa's mineral wealth again. Right. Okay. Okay. So just again, tailings, we've had a few tailings companies on. Uh, I think it's sort of reasonably well understood. Can, perhaps can you give us a sort of basic overview of what it involves certainly in the context of how you are mining. Yes, certainly. So in South Africa, the, uh, the typical gold content in, in tailings is between 0.27 gram per ton to about 0.36 gram per ton. So the guys who mined before us did a pretty good job of taking out most of the gold. Um, but the the amount of, of, of stockpiled resource from our perspective is just this was there are several hundred million tons of material. So by setting up uh, plant infrastructure and logistical capacity and tweaking your metallurgy in such a way that you can actually get into almost nano extraction, uh, you, you could still make a business out of this. So, uh, so we're at the, the ultra high volume uh, side of the, of, of the equation on the one hand and the nano extraction side of the equation on the other end. That, that, that's the combination. South Africa is perfect for that because, as I say, we've got hundreds of millions of tons of material all over the Johannesburg landscape that we can access and, and recycle. Right. And, and what process, What type of process do you follow? I mean, it's, you're looking at some of your presentations. There's, it, it seems almost a very simple process in a way, but as you say, with sort of nano extraction, it, it, it can't be that simple. Can you sort of explain, get into a bit of the technical detail for us? Yeah, the, the setup is the setup needs to be detailed. Uh, so the, the mining itself, it's getting the material there in sufficient quantities and also in, in the right state. So your densities have got to be exactly spot on. Uh, and then we do that by mixing the uh, tailings with water, slurry format, and then it gets pumped. Uh, we have a network of pipelines that feed into three separate plants. And there it goes through your normal uh, carbon and leach process. So uh, cyanidation and then settling onto carbon, uh, illusion, uh, and then uh, zinc precipitation. Zinc precip is the process that we prefer over electro winning because we could then batch treat uh, solution uh, and we could also uh, up the volume. It has much more capacity than your typical electro Right. The, the magic in the process lies in the, or the, I think the key differentiator lies in, in the setting up and maintaining the plant in exactly the, the correct configuration. So over and above delivery at the required rate, 
you didn't make you need to make sure that your key drivers are set up in such a way that you keep that that plant in um in, in a within range um, and and you do that proactively it's if you're going to be reacting to what you're seeing in the plant you're going to run into some some difficulties uh, you'll never get that plant into steady state and that you do by way of ongoing monitoring so we have 40,000 data uh, uh, prompts that, that take place at any given point in time. These get collected uh, by way of a, my software. We have a software program for that. And then the information is packaged in such a way that you can see exactly where you are in terms of each of your key drivers and parameters. That's Make sure that your plan stays within. So that, that, that's really it. It's, it's not complex or difficult but you've got to set it up just right and then keep it in steady state. So th this is a logistics exercise in, in essence, and you're dealing with presumably not, not only millions of tons of, of, of uh, tailings, but millions of tons of water too. So you need to control Correct. control that environment. So is that there's anything proprietary about what you do? You say it's easy, but um, is it, this technology been around for a while? What are the risks? I think it's I think it's simple. We found out that it's not easy, but but it is simple. Um, the, the to understand how it works, it's, it's not difficult. To keep it in steady state, that, that that's where the challenge comes in. Right. And and I think the, the typical way of running a mine and running a plant is one of uh, so you do have systems, uh, but it's almost done intuitively, and it's more often than not it's done reactively. And the difference here lies in just the the application of existing technologies, software combined with engineering technologies and setting it up in such a way that you can proactively manage your key drivers to remain within range. That's really where the, where the key difference comes in. Okay. Then you run your, to do proper diagnostics in terms of where things are going wrong, slightly off, of course. It also enables you to do very precise dosaging because if you multiply everything by two and a half million every month, because that, the, the, that's, that's our tonnage throughput, uh, every penny multiplied by two and a half million, you know, multiplied two and a half million times, it, it, it ends up being a big number at the end of the month or at the end of the year. Uh, and, and from that perspective, it's important to ensure that, that you optimally uh, take advantage of every single ton that goes into that plant. And that's you do by sure that it's setting up, set up in this way. Absolutely. We'll talk about some of the numbers, which um, you, I think you state quite clearly at the end of your presentation, because it's all, it's all about margins when you're processing at that volume for, for sure. Can we talk about the business model? Because you talked about, obviously, it's it's got a history of mining, underground mining, and, and, and South Africa is well known for this. When did you guys make the move into tailings and, and why? Well, it was gradual. Um, the, the company bought uh, the old Crown Gold Recoveries, I think it was in the late 80s. Um, it may have been in the early 1990s, just before I joined the company. I joined in 2003. And it was a small retail, a tailings re retreatment business at the time, combining with uh, various underground mines in South Africa and also some, some mines offshore in uh, Papua New Guinea and, and in Fiji. Um, what became apparent, though, is that our underground assets were sort of at the lower end of the, uh, of, of the quality range. Uh, they were old assets. Mm -hmm. They'd been around many, many years. At one point in time, they were very lucrative, but they'd reached maturity. Uh, and we started um, exiting those and focusing more on the surface retreatment. And then uh, we were very fortunate that Anglo Aldashanti decided to, to abandon uh, surface retreatment in the Johannesburg area. And their plant came up for sale, the old Ergo plant. 
and then we managed to just put together the different bits of, 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 a, of a new uh, surface reclamation business. They'd mined out most of their resource, but we earned a lot still on the East Rand, on the old YRPM footprint, mm -hmm. and also the central and west of Johannesburg. And we managed to combine all of those uh, and, and bring new life to, to the Ergo footprint. That's where it started. That was about 10 years ago, uh, eight, nine years ago, maybe. And then, of course, recently lost, uh, earlier this year, uh, we also commissioned our new project, the Far West project, which we acquired from Savannah Stillwater. Okay, so and just before we get into both those, because they they've got different dynamics going on there. So your your plan is obviously you you you've got the skills in house to deal with tailings now. You're no longer mining in any way, shape, or form, and you, you you've set up to deliver that. So the the what what is the, what is the game plan here? You're you're a reasonable sized company now. Mm. Um, growth plans, I think you say the Sabanier uh, deal allows you to make that next step. Um, can we talk about, let, but let's talk about Ergo first. Ergo is, you've been, how long have you had that and how long have you been operating Ergo? It's been about nine years, I would imagine, maybe maybe a little bit longer. Right, okay. Uh, so, so, that's, so that became the, let's call it the, the center of gravity of the operations. And, and a, lot of the, a lot of the things that happen within the business happened sort of around Ergo. Ergo was the big enabler. Mm. And I think what Ergo taught us, because it is a very high volume, uh, low recovery plant, low recovery in the sense of uh, the actual yield, the yield's about 0.2 gram a ton mm. on a combined basis. What it really taught us, I think over time, was how to develop the system of information management to, to make these things more predictable. And I think that's the technology that enabled us to uh, to, uh, to tackle the far west operations as a first step towards growth. Yeah. So, so Ergo was the, it remains a very important, probably the most important part of the business in, in terms of size and scale and leveraging off its capacity and its potential, and also years of, of developing intellectual uh, capital. Uh, but it, it's, certainly, it's certainly now enabling us to, to, to leverage that, that package of proprietary information, so to speak, or developed information, so to speak, and apply it somewhere else. And we can go into these things with more confidence because I think we have a better understanding uh, because of better management of information. And, and I think from Far West operation, uh, it's turned out really well for us. The, the project uh, has come around really nicely. And uh, we're hoping that this would open new opportunities for us also within the context of our relationship with Sabanya Stillwater because they have an abundance of, of assets which uh, at yeah. this stage, as yet unrecognized, and I think that that would be a good next for, step for us. For, for sure, but just so just on Ergo, so it's it's in in terms of I think I, I apologize, I don't quite know the parlance here, but uh, in terms of the life of that mine equivalent, you know, how much longer can Ergo carry on for, and what's it, will it continue to deliver at the same sorts of rates that it is now? In terms of its of its current. Uh, engineering and, and capacity infrastructure about another nine years right the, the limitation on its life is as though it's not availability of resources there's enough for another 20 years for that matter but there's going to have to be some enhancements in terms of deposition capacity mm -hmm. the uh the deposition facility that we're currently using mm -hmm. it's going to have to be uh improved it's going to have to be extended for that matter and we're also going to have to do some tweaking in terms of volume throughput at the plant itself, because 
at some point or another in the uh, in future, four or five years from now, mm. the feed grade going into ergo is going to drop by about a 0.04 gram a ton. And that may require higher volume throughput, which will require a slightly larger tailings deposition facility. So that will be the catalyst to extend it beyond the nine years that we're currently planning. Right. So, but have you done the economics on that? Have you done the study? I know you've been on it nine years, but your focus is, you know, creating creating cash. But have you done the analysis to see do we bother to go beyond the nine years? What's the cost us? What's the what's the capital required to do that? And what's the return on that? Is that a process we're actually, we're actively, Yeah, we're actively working towards that. So the the uh, increase in size in the tailings deposition facility, mm-hmm. that's pretty much a given. It's a, it's a, a licensed site. And, and we're tweaking some of the license conditions. We're engaging with the regulator in terms of some of those license conditions. Uh, but in terms of, of current economics, if you look at where the gold price is now, what our recovery efficiencies look like, existing available technology and so forth, it is, uh, it is definitely something that we would want to, to take forward. Um, but, but there, there, okay, I mean, I don't I want to talk about it yet, but you know, obviously gold, gold prices had a, and we will come back to Savanya, apologies, but just while we segued onto gold price, obviously that's had a very, very positive effect for anyone producing gold since beginning of July this year, yourselves and included for sure. Do the economic calculations that you're working towards uh, for ergo rely on, well, what's, what is the minimum price for you to be able to say, I'm going to make that decision to spend that capex on ergo? I what it does at the moment with this margin is it's, it's making the capital far more affordable sure. uh, in the sense that we could, we could set up the capital infrastructure with existing cash flows or fund, funded mostly out of existing cash flows. We won't have to go and borrow a lot of money. We won't have to go and issue a lot of shares in order to do this. So, so I think it's a, uh, that this could be the enabler or the catalyst for us to do that extension without having to rely on, on a gold price that is similar or higher than, than what we currently have. The gold price could be anything uh, to you know, 15 to 20% lower than what it is at the moment. And, and that project would still be a good project. Okay, so that's the number I wanted to get at. So if, it's, if the gold price was 15, 20% lower than it is today, it would still be economically viable for you to do that. I know you've got you've got no debt, you're producing a lot, a lot of cash, you've just issued uh, quite a large dividend uh, to shareholders, and as you have done for the last 12 years, uh, that's all impressive. So financially, you seem to have your house in order, but it's get, I, I, I'm trying to understand the thinking between how do you make the decision between saying, we're, let's invest into Ergo versus a new project like Sabanye. And as you say, they've got a lot of other assets, which may be a better use or application of your cash. I mean, what, what are those discussions like internally with, with the board? How do you, how do you make that so, decision? So we're looking, at a, we're looking at a, at a uh, cost of capital of about 15%. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's our minimum threshold. We don't see that. We're not going to get at least that 15% return. On, on our investment, we, we don't get to go anywhere near that. Uh, Ergo clears that hurdle quite easily. Okay. Beyond that point, it's really a matter of prioritizing based on which one is the most attractive. Uh, we, we, do take, we do take a very conservative approach to capital expenditure. Uh, we, we do our capital, we spend our capital not on the basis of what we hope the gold price will be, but on what the gold price is. Obviously at the moment, slightly lower than what it is because it's exceptionally high levels. Uh, 
But we, we don't spend capital on a hope. We spend capital on the basis of, of fundamental analysis of what the business is capable, capable of yielding. And because we take full exposure to gold price, and we think that's one of the things that, that appeals to the market, the fact that we do provide very steep gearing to mm. movements in the gold price, we also want to limit uh, interest to an absolute minimum. Because while you can manage costs, and our costs is pretty, you know, our costs are pretty modular mm. uh, in, 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 uh, in its design, so to speak. We can switch off big chunks of cost when we go through a uh, dip in the gold price. So, so interest doesn't work like that. Can you, can you tell me about that? When you say you can switch things off quickly, because when you, when you make capital uh, commitments, most like in a mining company, it's very hard to switch that off. You, you, you've got to have a view of what the future of the gold price looks like to be able to make large capital plays. You're saying, no, we can actually turn that off at will. Is that what you're telling me? Well, depending, depending on just how challenging your circumstances are. So there are certain sections of the plot that are worth keeping on at a certain gold price. Mm. And you can work out I mean, exactly how many additional kilos of gold you have to produce in order to to keep that that part of the, 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 the plant going. Yeah. Uh, also certain areas that you're mining. So at the moment, we, we're mining a, a healthy blend in terms of sustainability. We, we're not picking out the eyes of our resource. We're making sure that what gets into the plant is what's going to give us the, the longest life uh, at, at healthy margin. We, we're not chasing margin and then you know, let tomorrow take care of itself. So, so, so those are the sort of optionality. We've raced ahead in terms of some of the environmental programs that we're running. So if there is a, a short-term deferral of let's let's say three or six months on some of the some some of those programs, it's not going to cause damage to that, and it's also not going to cause significant nuisance to surrounding areas and so forth. So these these modular chunks of cost that one could move around a little bit, which you don't necessarily have in an underground mine. Now interest doesn't work like that. If you have if you have big loans, you cannot move your interest around. And as a consequence, we do take a very conservative approach when it comes to planning of capital projects. And, and in terms of, of current gold price, when we look at the future of the company and the increase in size of our infrastructure, deposition capacity, and so forth, current margin is very relevant within the context of planning that out going forward, because this will enable us to maybe accelerate some of those programs, bring them forward. You don't want to pay income tax now and interest later on capital development. You bring it forward a little bit, Spend the money once, and uh, and you're not unnecessarily increasing your, either your tax or your your, your debt uh, liabilities, um, and and then but make sure that it fits into the bigger picture. That you're still not you know you're not chasing a dream, you're chasing reality, and that within the context of where we believe gold price might go going forward, you still have a sustainable business. Yeah, you've you've also got to be reasonably <clears throat> conservative here in a way because you know gold price. It's back up. Don't know for how long. So you've got to again get that balance between saving money for a rainy day. You know, when, when times may be tough. I don't know what your cash balance is like. I know you've got no debt, but what is your cash balance actually? Well, at the end of September, it was just over uh, three hundred and thirty million rand. Right. Okay. About one hundred and thirty million rand locked up in uh, in, in working capital. So it's it's a very healthy cash balance. Right. Um, okay. Well, you're right. You know, money has a way of disappearing if you don't look after it. Well, yeah, this, this is my point. You, you've got to get that. But again, again, I'm really fascinated by the way that boards think. You know, some are a little bit more gung ho than others, and others are a little bit more uh, conservative or cautious because they've they've seen the cycles in in the commodities uh, space. You know, gold's not impervious to that. Uh, times are good now, 
since July, it's been even better for, for you guys, for sure. You know, producing more margin there. In this case of understanding what either you spend money because you think you can create more value that way, or you park some just in case. And I just, I just wonder, you know, where you sit and that kind of thinking. We, we do three things basically. So we, we do have a peep in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. so, so what maybe uh, did we not neglect, but what is there? You know, what, what sort of lingering, what sort of legacy issues could there be? Considering mm -hmm. that we've, we've cleaned up 24 different sites. Are they all cleaned up to satisfaction? Or are there some lingering little issues that might catch up with us? Because there is a bit of capacity now. So a bit of a peep in the rearview mirror. Then there is an assessment of our current situation. What is it that we are doing now that with a little bit of capital and a little bit more focus and in an accelerated environment, we could improve in order to ensure that we are more resilient and more robust going forward. And now let's take a peep into the future. What is it that we think we're going to be doing going forward? You know, what are the, the apparent, what, what's the roadmap going forward? Our objective is to mine as much of this resource as we possibly can. What is it that we can do now that, that provides optionality without you know, getting us stuck in a corner or overextended in terms of financial obligations, et cetera, et cetera, mm. that we could maybe bring forward or that we could do it in a, in a way that enhances flexibility and optionality and all those, you know, those, those, uh, those MBA terms that, uh, that you get peppered with by, by consultants. But we do take a little bit of a peep into the future as well and say, right, but we're not in a position to do something. So, so how do we go about it intelligently to bring the future a little bit closer? Okay, so let's talk about Sabanye because that is uh, that's a, that's a you know meaningful company. It's a meaningful partner or shareholder. Um, you've in you've you've gone you you've done a deal. Can you tell us about the structure of that deal with them? You know and what their involvement is because I think they've got some options themselves, which they may or may not take. So can you just explain to people what that structure of that deal looked like? Yes, certainly. So they have. Uh, when they acquired these, this, this parcel of assets out of the Goldfield stable, amongst those were some of the, the highest grade dumps, mine dumps in South Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, the highest grade in the sense of what, what you're also able to recover from them. I mean, some of these refractory ore bodies that have high grades, but uh, it's the reason why the grades there are so high. These are dumps that uh, came into being because exceptionally high grade all bodies, benign all bodies were mined over several decades. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, they were looking at, at somewhere or another unlocking the potential of, of this asset and they were looking at various options. So we, we were very fortunate to, at the right point in time, in their thinking, approach them with the, the idea of maybe this would be a good fit for, for the only gold, considering where, where the team has managed to get in terms of technologies and information management, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And they agreed, but uh, I mean, they weren't just going to give it away. So um, they took a 38% stake in our company in exchange for 250 million uh, tons of material. It doubled our, our reserves, but it also came with existing infrastructure that we could, by way of very minor tweaks, mm -hmm. get going in a very short period of time. I think we started in August of last year and we were in production by February. We've basically uh, done full commissioning from December through to, to the end of February, beginning of March. We were in, in, in full flight and I think we hit signature production uh, in about May, um, or design, in about May. So the the, uh, the structure is that they've got 38% of the company now and they could, by way of a subscription for new shares, take that to 50 plus one. Uh, and they need to do that before the end of February of next year. Okay. Um, 
Okay. And, we, and we think that uh, there's a good chance that they will want to do that. Um, I think they will want to take a bigger chunk uh, in the business. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced that the company's operating performance, recent operating performance is really reflecting in the share price. I think what you're seeing in the share price is maybe the gold price, movement, yeah. but maybe not necessarily the, the operating performance of the business. So it's, it's a good time for them to exercise the option. It's not a bad time for us because it's also going to come in with about a billion in additional uh, capital flowing into the business, which too can be applied towards uh, the, uh, the development programs that we have both for Ogo and now also in terms of, of the Far West operation. Okay, so this comes back to my question about the business plan. Obviously, with Sabanier as a new shareholder partner in a way, I know they're, they're sorry, are they an active partner or a passive? They're, they don't, they, they let you get on with it, do they? Yeah, 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 they don't interfere. Look, there's no doubt in my mind that they're willing to feel when we start uh, messing it up. But uh, but so far, so good. They, they they've been a passive partner. Okay, and supportive. Okay, so so the best coming back to the business plan, which is so if you've got someone as large as them with the ability to come in and get fifty plus one, um, what does that mean for you, and what does it mean for them? Look, I think for us, it means more opportunity means that we can grow the business and we can do that without uh, diluting the, the, the economic benefits of existing shareholders. And then maybe this is something on which I can elaborate just, just very briefly. Something that was an important consideration for us when we did the Sabanya deal was that we were going to dilute our existing shareholders out of 38% of the uh, cash flows of Ergo. And we've been a, a dividend paying company now for 12 years. So we're we going to acquire something where the 68% stake in the new business was going to make up for the 38% dilution of the existing business. And, and what we saw was something that actually did more than that. There was more than an adequate offset and, uh, and value add in terms of the, the new asset coming on board. So, so clearly everything that we do going forward, it will be a consideration. Are we diluting existing shareholders mm -hmm. or are we adding value in terms of tangibles? And, and I'm not talking about sort of uh, strategic um, fantasy flights here. I'm talking about real value. Mm. The value of the share price going to be higher, or will the uh, and or will the, uh, uh, the the cash flows, the free cash flows per share, benefit from the transaction in in the near or, or medium term? So obviously there's going to be some period of development in between. Um, so so if, if it qualifies, if, if if we can tick those boxes, I think we would want to move forward on assets that by and large have become, uh, or that are invisible within the context of the Sabanya stable. You're not buying Sabanya still water because it has several hundred million tons of platinum tails. You're buying it because it's got mines with very, very attractive underground uh, ore bodies. And, and I think those are the, the sort of assets that we would want to take along on a hard look at. It will enhance our profile as a producer. I think it can assist us to build, further build on our brand identity of a, a, a legacy cleanup uh, operator that also, but but that comes with with healthy financial returns. So there's a good ESG element built in the story as well that I think we've been uh, convincingly building up over time. Uh, and at the same time, from a Sabanya perspective, it will mean the unlocking of a value that is, is just not recognised. That just disappear sort of within the context of, of the larger portfolio assets that they have. So I guess there's a, there's a few moving parts there. There's obviously with Sabanya coming on, they had they had a tailings operation, which you, is that is that correct? Did they now, the one that we bought 
was was it was nothing. It was just it was the assets. It was, it was the dumps and, and the cost. Got it. Okay. See. So, so, so there's that there's that component to it. There's everything that you've learned from Ergo, and you know, being able to apply to uh, the Sabanier asset. Um, did did you inherit any data about the tailings? Have they done any work? Are you starting slightly ahead of the curve, or are you having to you know start from scratch? There is, there's an enormous amount of information that they gathered that they gathered over time. This started in the goldfields days when they were talking about the sixth shaft. That, that we're going to develop. So there's an abundance of information, and it's good information that, that we could use. It wasn't an operating asset when we bought it. We had to spend capital to get it to, to operating state. Right. But there was a lot of good information that we could use. Interesting, interesting. And so, and is that the same for some of their other tailings projects, which I know are not part of the stable yet, but if they, they take up this option, is that... Have you got a sense of the scale of what it could mean, the scale of the operation opportunity and what that could mean for you guys? I know it's early days, but you must have had a look, had a peek. Yeah, now look, the, the, the rest of the information that's out there is maybe not as detailed and not at the same level, quality mm -hmm. level, as the information that we saw at the Far West operation, because these are not necessarily considered uh, projects. But, but remember that you have decades of records of, of tail grade coming out of plants. Yeah, uh, and many of these assets have, have in fact been drilled. Uh, we, we know that there are programs underway for further drilling of these assets. So, the, uh, more and more information is being gathered as as we go along. It's not quite at the same level. It's going to require some additional verification. But you know, these things are on surface. Uh, it's, it's not that hard to get verification. It's not that tough to do the test work and get a sense of of the metallurgical response of, of these reports. So relatively cheap, relatively quick. But you talked about something a second ago, which is about the, the word rehabilitation. Um, that also, to me, says uh, removal of liability associated with these tailings. And is that that's obviously a big part of Sabanier's thinking. Has that influenced their ability or your ability to you know, negotiate terms? Is that part of it? No. In terms of the Sabanya assets that we acquired, it, it was a business unit, so it had intrinsic value. You, you could actually, there was a business plan around it. Okay. In terms of, of other assets, maybe belonging to other companies, their tailings are by and large. Remember, tailings is mine waste. It's thrown away. And if you don't have plot infrastructure, and if you don't have sufficient deposition space, and all the other odds and ends, the bits and pieces that you're required to, to retreat those, it stays just that. It stays waste. It doesn't have intrinsic value. And because of the volume scale required in order to run these things efficiently and profitably, it's a lot of capital that's, that's required up front. And you then make mistakes, and invariably they do make mistakes. They, they overestimate the recovery efficiency of the material. Also, they're going to get 75 to 80 percent, maybe even more. If you get 55 percent, you're, you're in good shape. You're running a shape and, uh, operation. So they, they, they get into trouble. So, so when you look at other assets that don't form part of an existing portfolio of assets that haven't been dealt with, developed as as a as an asset as a producing asset, then typically they are just waste. And then what you want to do in, in those situations is offer your your uh, offer yourself as a solution to an environmental problem, as opposed to say let's do a commercial deal. You're not writing checks for those dumps. You're taking over an environmental responsibility. And within the context, the renewed context and focus on ESG, which I think investors globally are taking more and more uh, seriously. Uh, these solutions are, are good solutions to have as, as a corporate, especially if you know 
that you're not, you know, by handing over these assets, you're not throwing a small boomerang that's going to come back at you as a big boomerang. This is actually a complete solution. And I think that's what we would maybe also want to work towards over time, is that we could become a credible and reliable environmental solution to ESG issues and environmental issues, et cetera, et cetera, pertaining to tables. Oh, absolutely. So we've got a lot absolutely. of experience in that regard. I mean, last year alone, we, we handed back 135 hectares of land in the Johannesburg area that was previously sterilized because they, they, they were covered with tailings. Uh, we, we don't offer 100% sort of a you know, turnkey solution to, to a thousand year, le- to a hundred year legacy rather, but bit by bit incrementally, you could actually start sensing and seeing, witnessing, uh, 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 seeing with, with your own eyes the, the, the impact that you know, 20, 30, 40 years of tailings reclamation is starting to have on this landscape. No, it's, it's, it's very impressive. And, and it, you're right, it absolutely is important to investors. I, I'm so intrigued with, are you handed back the land to, because you, when you negotiate a contract, you're negotiating the ability to extract certain minerals from a tailings pile. And these, these piles are huge, these mountains sometimes, but you don't actually own the land. That belongs to, right. And it's, so who did you hand the land back to around Johannesburg, for instance? Most of the land in, the, in and around the Johannesburg area is uh, uh, in terms of, of, of agreements that were entered into in the, the early 90s, uh, the 19, uh, 1990s rather, where, where the tailings and the land were separated. Uh, and there's a company in Johannesburg called IPROP, and they own most of the land holdings on which many of the tailings that we, okay. that we treated and that we're returning now were situated. In the far east ran on the ERPM footprint, there we actually own most of the land. And now in the far west rand Cartonville, we also will be owning most of the land. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, the, I suppose the, the, uh, the, the value add from, from the current executive's perspective is not so much that there is land to develop. The value add is there was a dump sitting on land that could be used otherwise. Yeah. By removing the dump, there's an unlocking of, of other value as well. No, that's uh, that, again. I'm just fascinated by how how you structure these deals because it's not just necessarily about cash extracted from the the tailings and removal of liabilities, etc. But there's other ways that you can remunerate yourself, which have different tax implications and for you know for the future, um, positive tax implications in the sense you, you take land as part of the the, the payment uh, for the reclamation component. Um, so again, I, I I just wanted to understand if that was. Part of your thinking sounds like it is. Um, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so so talk, talk to me. Talk to me about the future. You got obviously Sabania is is one player, and I know you're a South Africa focus, but it's it's one player. There are hundreds of millions of tons of tailings in South Africa. What's the competition like? You, you talk about being you know the the best at extracting gold, but are you the only player in town? No, there are there are some other players as well. I think more and more companies are recognizing the value and the relative simplicity of setting up these uh, mm-hmm. these structures. They're finding out that the operational angle is slightly more complicated, but you can get there eventually uh, to uh, uh, by, by applying your mind. Uh, in terms of, of our own capacity of just the size of the management team of mm. uh, what we're capable of doing, I think also very importantly the. The, the value system that we want to take to, to each of these operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are taking small steps at this stage. We, we obviously want to make sure that we take full advantage of our existing footprint in and around the Johannesburg area. I yeah. think we, we, we are more and more becoming a, 
a, uh, a player in terms of social capital. We're more and more becoming a player in terms of environmental capital. Mm-hmm. And I think we want to see that through. We don't want to you know, work on, on, on our reputation and our, and our brand identity only to abandon it prematurely. So, so that, that takes a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. Same applies to the Far West brand. That's a little bit more remote. Um, and uh, and it's, it's a little bit more concentrated. So, so I think expanding towards full capacity there is uh, it's, it's maybe going to be easier uh, than, than in the Johannesburg area itself. The, the, the platinum potential or the platinum group metals potential of Sabanya, that's going to take up a lot of time and effort if we are given an opportunity to do that. And, and we basically covered the next five years in our company's existence. Um, so we do want to make sure that everything we do we do to a certain specification and to a certain standard. And, you know, we're not going to go into a sort of a, a, any a deal-making rush here and, and, and drop more balls than, than, than we can feel. Okay. So steady, steady but sure, based on what you know. Um, but as you get bigger, it gets harder to deliver the types of, you know, returns um, as, a, as a percentage of, 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 of what the company has been doing. Um, it's it's you think it's going to get easier to deliver uh, dividends to shareholders because you're going to be dealing with larger projects? I mean, how, how do the numbers look to you going forward? What do you want them to look like going forward? Because I'm trying to say new investors coming in, very successful today. How do they keep this going? Where's the growth coming from? What's the answer? Yeah, look, I think it, I don't think it's going to be um, paying dividends at the moment with the gold price where it is and with the way sure. that the business is currently is. is you know, that it's, it's easier. Yeah. So I think it's going to be hard to maintain that sort of dividend return. It's going to be harder to maintain that sort of dividend rate. Um, and I'm told that, that there's such a thing as a, as a growth dividend. I've yet to be convinced that it that really exists. Maybe it's just how executives convince themselves that it's a good thing to do a deal that won't have uh, much of a financial return in the short term. Uh, Maybe I'm being naive or really conservative, but, but we'll investigate. We'll have a look into that as well. Um, what, what we do want to do, and I think that that's probably the, the more important consideration, is that we do try to run this business towards a very specific set of values. Commercial values, uh, social in, uh, interaction, uh, environmental interaction, compliance, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't really want to cut corners on any one of those. So we'll grow at the rate at which we could take uh, ensure that we can transplant those and they're not you know way up values they're simple straightforward uh in my in my in my view the sort of values that that gives you the best chance of achieving sustainability over a long period of time uh and and we want to make sure that before we move on to the next asset or the next project that those values have been embedded and that they've become institutionalized and that we could move on to the next thing because with every project with every asset you also you also get people. Um, and, and we were delighted to see how, how seamlessly the people that we that we uh, integrated from the Sabanya stable, and they were plant workers, almost sort of on the periphery. They were working in a plant that was about to be closed. And it was it, it, it was just delightful to see how easily they integrated into what we were doing. And they're moving forward with this thing and identifying with our brand, with our identity, with uh, what, what it is that we want to achieve and how we want to achieve it. And I think that, that that's going to be for us, a, an important requirement going forward. Happy that we've got it embedded here, we will look at the next one. Because with that, I think with those sort of, uh, with that approach, uh, we're also giving ourselves the best chance of, 
of ensuring similar sort of returns to the ones that we that we get. Uh, well, yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. You know, and when times are good, when there's lots of money, people, you, you, you've, your dividend, recent dividend was what three, three times larger than your previous dividend. Is that is that right? Yeah, right, at least, yeah. Right. So you've been very generous back to the shareholders. Um, have you been very generous to yourself? So you're bumping your salaries and remuneration packages up too. Yes, the salaries are are, are sort of uh, adjusted in accordance with um, inflation. So we, we have inflation-related uh, uh, salaries. Of course, the bonuses were, were really good this year. Mine was slightly lower than the previous year, but there were other dynamics that, that came into play. And our KPIs are assessed on the basis of a uh, of, of a broad scale of measurables and, and parameters. There's a sustainability aspect, a safety aspect, an environmental aspect, compliance, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the, because we take full exposure to gold price, you don't necessarily get uh, incentivized based on revenue. It does play a big role. If there's not enough revenue, there's no incentive. But but we do take a look at what, what we planned for the year, whether we sort of came in in terms of costs and production and throughput and so forth and so forth. So it's a, it's a matrix that doesn't only reward uh, happy financial times. What was really attractive for us this year were the longer-term incentives. Personally, I've been outside of the long-term incentive uh, scheme for, for many, many years, for mm-hmm. the first eight years of my tenure. Uh, recently, I was brought into that, and I must admit, it, it was a very, very good year for most of the executives in BRB Gold this year, uh, yeah. in terms of the long-term incentive. Yeah. Absolutely. But we're certainly it, not underpaid, definitely not. We're very, very, we're very fortunate. Okay, yeah, and you've, you're making money. You're debt free, like I said. Your finances, your, your house is in order on that front. I mean, is part of that remuneration assessment based on share price? Yes, very much so. Right. Very okay. So. And obviously, it's been, it's been a good second half. To, yeah. So it's been a good second half to the year. So that helps for for sure. Um, well, Neil, thank you very much for that. That's a fantastic introduction to a space which I like: tailings recovery. And for all the ecological reasons too, but you guys are making money, which helps. Um, so I appreciate you introducing that to all of our viewers. Um, and we'd love to keep, stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on, especially with the Sabanier deal. Um, it sounds it sounds like a great time for you and uh, we wish you well. Thank you. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.